to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive inside the DNA Helix. You're listening to part four of DNA Genetics five-part series on the five pillars of reproductive care. My guest today is Dr. Amanda Cross. Dr. Cross is the Director of Genetic Program Implementation with DNA Genetics. Thanks for joining us today, Amanda. Thanks for having me. Now, Amanda, on the previous three episodes, we heard from Dr. John Sonderman. He talked about guilt development. We talked with Dr. Steve Chalau. He talked about estrus detection. And in our most recent episode, we talked with Brady McNeil, who talked about feeding for body condition management. Today, we're going to spend some time talking about the first 48-hour pig care. So let's dive right into that topic. Why are those first 48 hours the most critical to a producer? The first 48 hours are the most critical to producers because we lose half of all of our pre-reign mortalities in that first 48 hours. According to data from our full program test project, which we talked about on podcast earlier, Mm -hmm. um, but it's a program that allows us to understand how our pigs perform in a commercial environment. This data showed us that majority of those piglet mortalities within the first 48 hours are due to being laid on and low viability. So if we can get these pigs started properly, then their chance of surviving to weaning increases. This is why we put together this 48-hour pig care checklist for producers um, so that they can ensure that they're starting their pigs off properly. Now, Amanda, does pre-farrowing sow management impact piglets at all? Yes. Managing the sow properly before she farrows can impact her piglets. I know the next pillar that we will dive into, um, we'll talk about how to feed that sow properly after she farrows, but... Feeding her pre-farrowing also impacts her piglet quality. We would recommend feeding sows multiple times throughout the day just prior to her farrowing. This will provide her with enough energy to make it through the farrowing process quickly. So I like to think of the farrowing process as a marathon, and I know that you run. So maybe this will make sense. (laughs) Sometimes. So if you're going to run a marathon and you consumed your last meal 8 to 12 hours prior to running, the likelihood of you having enough energy to finish or finish with a PR is pretty low. However, if you fuel your body within three hours of that marathon, you'd have enough energy to finish and potentially even PR. So getting that energy into the sow so she has a shorter farrowing duration puts less stress on her and the piglets. Wow, Amanda, that's a really good analogy. Like you mentioned, I, I am a runner, so I can relate to that. And I know you just signed up for your first half marathon coming up here soon. So I did. we'll have to talk closer to race date and we can we can go over some of these strategies. But let's look at some other pre-farrow management tools that maybe producers are using that are negatively impacting the first 48 hours of life that we might want to avoid or maybe enact a little bit differently. Right. Um, so another pre-farrow management tool that producers use is inducing. And as litter size has increased, the gestation length has also increased. So our 241, our crossbred female, is averaging 117 days for gestation length. So inducing too early can result in pigs with low birth weight, increased farrowing duration, increased stillborns, and also increased pre-wean mortality. Therefore, it's really important to not induce those sows too early. We would recommend that inducing should not occur until one day prior to the herd average. And if you have to, the 
absolute earliest we would recommend is inducing on 115 to ferro 116. All right, so then let's get into day one pig care. And if we're going to come up with some sort of checklist, what is the first step on this checklist in caring for pigs within the first 48 hours? The first step on our checklist would be drying piglets. And this step is really critical, not only for drying off the piglets, but for also stimulating those piglets. As soon as a piglet is born, a team member should be drying off that piglet, either with a drying agent or a towel. And I've been through several barns where team members will walk through and just sprinkle drying agent on top of the pigs as well as on the mat under the heat lamp. First of all, sprinkling piglets with drying agent on top of them doesn't do anything to help them dry off or get stimulated. Second of all, a lot of drying agents are white. And so putting that drying agent on that heat mat under the heat lamp decreases that temperature. And so those pigs don't get the full benefit of the heat on that mat. So then how, how should a producer properly apply a heating drying agent? They should properly apply it. They should either rub that mucus off with the agent. So put it on their hands and kind of rub that pig or take the towel and really rub them kind of like you do when you're drying your dog off or something like that. So really stimulate them, get down and get that mucus off. Yeah, the sprinkling just doesn't do it. Sprinkling does not do it. So have there been any studies on the impact of drying pigs? There have been a couple studies out there that have looked at the impact of drying pigs. One study investigated the effect of drying piglets compared to not drying those piglets. And those pigs that were dried had a lower drop in rectal temperature right after birth compared to those pigs that did not get dried. Also, the pigs that were dried recovered to a normal rectal temperature faster than those pigs that did not get dried. A second study looked at how different birth weight categories are impacted by drying. So those lighter birth weight pigs experience a more drastic decrease in body temperature in the first 30 minutes following birth compared to their heavier counterparts. So if we can get these light birth weight pigs dried off and stimulated, it helps them increase their body temperature faster. So based off of the results of these two studies, it's really important to get those pigs dried off. When drying, like we mentioned, use a drying agent or a towel and rub those pigs with a moderate pressure to help stimulate them and get them warm. So then going back to our checklist that we're developing, what would maybe the second step for caring for pigs within the first 48 hours be? The second step is making sure the pigs have a heat source. This could be a heat lamp or a heat mat, but team members need to make sure that that heat source is working prior to those piglets being born. Once piglets are born and have been dried off, the fairing room team needs to pay attention to how those pigs are laying under the heat source. So yeah, let's let's dive into the the laying patterns just a bit. What are the different laying patterns producers should look out for? So there's two different laying patterns that a producer should look out for. The first one is if pigs are piled on top of each other. And so if they're piled on top of each other under that heat lamp, then they're too cold. And so the heat lamp may need to be lowered. Also, if the pigs are cold, they may lay closer to the sow for warmth, which increases the number of laid on pigs. The second pattern is if those pigs are not laying under the heat lamp at all. It means they're too warm. And so that heat lamp may need to be raised. And if they're too warm, they're kind of laying all over the, the farin crate, which also can lead to more laid ons. Heat mats are another source of heat for these piglets, but they're most often set on a curve. And so we may need to adjust that curve depending on the temperature outside or the season. Also, mats are hard to detect when they're out because it's not like a heat lamp where you can just see that light is out. Watching laying patterns on those mats is really important to detect when a mat is out. 
Also, the laying patterns of the pigs may suggest a room temperature change is needed. All right, so we've got our top two items in our checklist. Is there a third step that we need to worry about when it comes to first 48-hour pig care? Split suckling would be our third step. So once we've dried those piglets off and we, we have ensured a proper heat source, we then would start to split suckle our pigs. And what split suckling is, is we separate a portion of that litter away from the sow and let the remaining portion of the piglets nurse. This ensures all piglets have the opportunity to get colostrum. Let's talk about the importance of that colostrum. Why is that important to get that into those pigs right away? So colostrum intake is very important because it not only provides maternal antibodies, but it also provides energy and protein for those piglets. And the first colostrum is the richest and it kind of declines over time in quality. And so those piglets that ingest lower amounts of colostrum will have lighter body weights um, than their counterparts that receive more colostrum. And ensuring colostrum intake from the dam is important not only for piglet survival, but long-term health. So split suckling is important because those pigs that are born first get to suckle the best colostrum first. And so those pigs that are born last, maybe a couple hours after the first one, may not have that opportunity. So if we can take those pigs off and give the later born pigs an opportunity to suckle, then they can get that colostrum. So Amanda, what are your recommendations for split suckling? We have two different recommendations depending on if you're running a 24-hour crew or not. Um, so if there is 24-hour care or the team members are present for the farrowing, then we would split suckle by birth order. So we'd mark the first seven piglets and we would place those in an enclosure and with a heat source and we would let the second half of that litter nurse. When team members are present, we would recommend split suckling for two full rotations with each rotation lasting an hour. So this would be a total of four hours of split suckling. So group A would nurse while B is in the enclosure. That would last an hour. We would then flip-flop those. So B would nurse while A is in enclosure for an hour. And that is one full rotation. So we would do this again before allowing all piglets to nurse again together. And, and then in those situations where team members are maybe not present, for the full 24 hours? Right. So in that circumstance, we would recommend split suckling based off of body size or belly fullness. The first group to nurse would be those smaller pigs with empty bellies, and the larger pigs would be the ones that are placed in the enclosure. We would recommend doing one full rotation with each rotation lasting an hour, so a total of two hours for this one. So group A, the small pigs, would nurse first, while B, the larger pigs, are in an enclosure. And then we would flip-flop these, while group B nursed and A was in the enclosure, and that would be complete of one full complete rotation, and then you could allow all pigs to suckle again. So in summary, what we really want is to give each pig a minimum of one opportunity for non-competitive suckling to ensure they get a chance at colostrum. I imagine that 24-hour team member presence is is ideal, but not everybody may be in that, that situation. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is really interesting information. Bring us home with maybe our last step in the first 48 hour piglet care. So once we finish split suckling, then we can cross foster. Improvements in total born and born alive have changed how producers maximize throughput in the farrowing house. And cross fostering is one of those strategies that producers are using. If we do have to cross foster, we recommend cross fostering within the first 24 hours of birth. Prior to those pigs establishing teat preference, this will help decrease fighting over teats throughout lactation. Also, when cross-fostering, producers should consider the sow's history. So how many has she weaned in her past parodies, along with her teat count, 
We like to load Sal's up to T count plus one or at least up to T count and then her parity. Now, do producers need to cross foster? No, producers do not have to cross foster. And so as litter sizes increase, we understand that cross fostering may be needed, but producers should strive to maximize litter integrity and minimize fostering. We would typically recommend a target of 80% hops. So 80% of the litters have not been disturbed and the sow is raising her own pigs. So no pigs have been moved into that litter. Maximizing litter integrity decreases disease spread and avoids disruption to the nursing pattern of the sow while increasing wean weights and decreasing nursery and finish mortality. In an internal study that we did, we compared one farm that was under strict McRebel, so that means they did no cross-fostering at all, Mm -hmm. um, and a second farm that moved pigs to create uniformed litter sizes. The farm that was under strict McRebel weaned on average more pigs per sow weaned than the farm that cross-fostered. Also, the strict McRebel farm had a lower nursery mortality. Do you have any recommendations on which pigs to cross foster? Because I think this is maybe something that people are kind of toying around with or they're never really sure. Right. This is a great question and one we get asked often. There are conflicting recommendations in the industry and among producers on how to cross foster pigs. Some cross foster only light pigs, some cross foster heavy pigs, some cross foster only barrows. So there's a wide gamut out there on what to cross foster. But what we have found is that light pigs perform better in litters of uniform weight and heavy pigs perform better in litters of mixed weight. So depending on how that producer wants to cross foster, we would recommend that if they are moving small piglets, that those piglets be moved to a litter with comparable weight. If a producer is moving bigger piglets, then they should be placed in litters with weight variation. We've talked about a lot of different things today, Amanda. If we're going to go over kind of an overall summary of 48-hour pig care, what would you recommend? We talked about kind of a a checklist. We had about four different items, but but what's your take-home message that you want to leave with producers today? So first of all, we need to start start by drying those piglets off as soon as they're born to help stimulate them, which not only helps get all that mucus off, but it helps them warm up and get active. Then producers need to make sure those pigs have a proper heat source to stay warm. And then once the litter has finished farrowing, it is important to split suckle to ensure every pig has at least one opportunity for non-competitive suckling of colostrum. And then lastly, if cross-fostering is needed, it must be done within the first 24 hours. So overall, if we can get pigs started correctly, then they're more likely to survive to the finish phase. Increasing the farrowing care during the first 48 hours will increase piglet survival and throughput for producers. Very good information. Thank you very much, Dr. Amanda Cross, Director of Genetic Programs with DNA Genetics. That has been part four of our five-part series on the five pillars of reproductive care. Join us next time as we hear from Dr. Jason Schneider as he talks about sow farrowing care. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms.